Welcome to Talking Startups at NYU, brought to you by the NYU Entrepreneurial Institute in partnership with WNYU. I'm your host, Giovanni Fume. This podcast series explores the roller coaster ride of turning your idea into a successful business. It features entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and other startup experts. Follow the series on iTunes and SoundCloud. Today, you'll hear my conversation with the founder of Sustain Natural, Mika Hollander. Sustain really focuses on vegan, eco-friendly, non-toxic sexual health products. What was so awesome about talking to Mika is that she's clearly as dedicated to promoting women's health as she is to selling condoms or tampons. For me, this was a really interesting conversation and one I got really engaged in. So stay tuned and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Mika. Thank you for coming on the show. Nice to be here. What year did you do your MBA? So I graduated in 2013. Okay. So what happened between then and the beginning of Sustain? Sustain, um, so Sustain's the first brand of all-natural, vagina-friendly essentials. So everything from condoms to lubricants to tampons, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And I actually started working on the idea of Sustain with my dad um, when I was at Stern. So it, it was a mix of trying to figure out what I wanted to do and working for a big corporation during the summer and really realizing I wanted to start my own business. Um, but it all it all started at Stern. And then I guess for the last four years has become a real business. What prompted you to want to make Sustain? So I grew up really sort of like in the depths of the natural products industry. My dad started seventh generation the household cleaning baby products oh okay friendly company you may have heard of it and so I really grew up in that space and I always sort of knew that I would go back to it but what's really interesting is that as consumers are eating organic food and looking for natural skincare and thinking about their cleaning products for some crazy reason the products that are going inside of your body like a condom which sometimes is a little not intuitive to think about, but condoms go inside of women's mm. bodies, or a tampon, there wasn't really any awareness around the ingredients that are in most of these products, and there weren't a lot of natural, if any, options. Um, so it it was sort of this like, okay, holy shit, I've been in this space my whole life, but when it comes to the stuff, as I got older, going inside my body, wow, we really need to rethink these products. So... I would say it was really a two-pronged thing. So one was the the market opportunity, one, which is there were two parts to that. One, focusing on women in the sexual wellness space, particularly condoms, and two, making a more natural option. And then the second part of it was focusing on women and female sexual health and sexuality and, you know, really trying to – this idea, which still exists and really existed four years ago too, was – a woman who carries a condom is a slut. And so how do we completely flip that on its head and make it something that women feel good about, empowered to buy condoms, and also help men not think of a woman um, in a negative light if she's carrying a condom? So that's actually something I definitely want to get back to. But before we do, I was curious, when you think of Sustain, do you think about it as a social venture with profit motive or a profit motive driven company that wants to do good 
What comes first? <laughs> I think of it as the former. Okay. Um, maybe to my detriment sometimes. I mean, I'm an activist at heart. For me, building a profitable business is important and critical. Um, but what I enjoy doing even more than that is like lobbying to get the FDA to regulate the ingredients in condoms. Like that's what drives me. And I think we will, you know, I always say like, the best thing that sustain can do is get more women using condoms, period. Obviously, if it's sustained condoms, great. But for me, the just using of condoms and there being a positive association with that is more what I'm after. Um, so I think of it fully as a social venture. Obviously, we're a for-profit company, um, although we're a B Corp. So it's it's a mix of both. You've been doing this for four years now, so maybe you're past that situation. But whenever I talk to young entrepreneurs, as in they've started their business within one or two years, commitment to whatever they're trying to solve, whatever problem they're trying to solve, seems to be a real issue. How did you know that sexual health was going to be the topic that you were going to contribute at least half a decade to? I mean, birth control is in my opinion, the way that women sort of are the owners of their own future and their own destiny, like being able to decide if and when you have children for a woman is what allows you to be in the workforce. It allows you to get an education. Like it's such a powerful thing and putting into question if it should be covered by insurance. Now it is, thankfully, but it hasn't always been. Or if, you know, limiting access to it to me is is a way to oppress women. And that's just how it is. I mean, there's when you we when we launched tampons earlier this year, we took on this issue of the tampon tax, something also that people don't realize is that tampons and pads are taxed as luxury, non-essential items. And low income women can't use food stamps to buy tampons and pads. I mean, I don't know what's more essential to women other than food yeah. than like tampons and pads. Um, you probably don't get your period. I don't know if you do, but no, <laughs> basically it, it was it's again, it's a crazy issue. Men's razors aren't taxed. Rogaine's not taxed. Um, it's why are tampons and pads? You know, it's again, it's like. Is that why your bag says stop taxing my vagina? It is. OK. Thank you for making that connection. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. So there's so it's sort of like you keep you can just keep peeling back the onion and finding more of these inequalities and things that just shouldn't exist. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just crazy to me. You're entering an industry that, in my mind, is principally a, a duopoly, basically. I mean, you have Durex on one hand and Trojan on the other, and those are really the two big companies. How do you see yourself gaining market share in a space that's so deeply rooted in this? Like, Yeah, so in some ways, finding markets like that are, are opportunities for innovation and new brands. You know, it's not like the shampoo space where there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of brands. There's a couple brands, mm. so that it's an opportunity. Um, we are taking Sustain now, you know, three years in, has taken a totally different approach from all of the old brands and we're in multiple categories. So, you know, where we have condoms, we have organic lubricant, we have organic cotton tampons and pads, we have wipes. So we sort of take a multi-category approach to sexual and reproductive health and an omni-channel approach. So we started out at retail, but now the bulk of our business is through our subscription via our own direct business. So we're competing with them, of course, from a brand standpoint and a product standpoint, um, a much 
more aggressive activist leadership focused on women from a brand standpoint and obviously healthier or safer products from a, um, like ingredient standpoint. But then we're also, you know, people are shopping online. 80% of our business is through our own site. And then we're also at retail. So people who are buying condoms at CVS can find Sustain um, and have the alternative. So we're just sort of approaching you know, not only these categories, I would say, very differently than the big players that have been around, you know, mm. the Procter & Gamble's of the world, the Church & Dwight's, et cetera. But so if you want to get to the market share where when a person goes up to the counter to buy condoms, you know, there's Sustain, Durex, Trojan, and they go for the Sustain, you really have to deploy customer education at scale. How do right. you do that? We do that really in, I mean, there's a lot of different ways, but I think because we are a now really e-commerce business, we're spending a lot of money on advertising, and that's effectively education. So we're spending a ton of money on Facebook. We're spending a ton of money on search. We're spending a ton of, now on podcasts. Like, we're educating consumers. Obviously, we'd love for them to come onto our site and buy it, but we're effectively hitting people who are also shopping at CVS or at Whole Foods. Mm. So we're educating a lot through advertising. We're educating a lot through publicity. We've sort of been very fortunate in like, you know, there's no other brand in the sexual wellness or feminine care space that's gotten nearly as much airtime as we have. That's another form of education. And then that was a really big reason I wanted to write this book as well. It's like for me, you know, I enjoy educating people. I enjoy talking about this stuff. And I felt like I'd been talking so much about talking about these issues yeah. and educating that it felt natural as the next step to write a book and sort of be like, okay, square one, what do you need to know about your vagina? It seems like the main barrier to people changing the behavior is that they don't like the feeling of using condoms. So it's always about pleasure. Any advertising for condom is how similar it is to not having one on, basically. Do you feel that telling people actually here's a healthier option is something that may be more effective than just pushing pleasure? I mean, you can market to the male ego for a long time. Yeah. I, I don't think that's going to become ineffective. Again, 40% of condoms are being purchased by women. Yeah. You can feel condoms, but you also could ha get herpes for the rest of your life. I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's somebody set some ridiculous person said that to me when we were starting um people have started saying less ridiculous stuff to me now because we're actually like a real business that has traction but some guy was like "Ugh, like people hate condoms like you're such an idiot what a terrible product to like be trying to sell and it was just the most clap like it was just like of course like you are so uneducated around this issue you're not thinking about how much good comes from using these products I always like to say like the people who should really be using condoms like you're probably the sex you're gonna have based on these orgasm statistics isn't gonna be the best sex of your mm. life to begin with <laughs> so maybe like use a condom and protect <laughs> yourself because there's so much research around why it's harder to have an orgasm in a casual setting and like those are the times you should be using condoms yeah how do you think this different perspective on male and female sexuality is getting perpetuated. Is it about how we talk about female sexuality? Is it something more subtle, more insidious? Like, 
what pattern needs to change for then the way we think about the two different genders sexuality change as well so much needs to change i mean i like to think of it and approach it from just a talking standpoint so i think the first thing is when it comes to sex um, and safe sex women and men should be talking to their parents they should be talking to their friends they should be talking to their doctors they should be talking to their partners there's such a lack of communication around sex um that it's created such a sort of insane amount of misinformation. Um, I actually wrote a book that's coming out in March that sort of just breaks down sort of the very straightforward things about female sexual and reproductive health because I'd been fed so much misinformation growing up. And so it's really important to have, you know, conversations with the people you're sleeping with, the people who raised you, your doctor, just about sex, just to sort of destigmatize the topic. It was really interesting for me to do this because I think there are hot topic issues or at least top issues that affect certain groups of individuals that we just don't discuss as a society. Like I didn't even know and I don't know how much of that is my fault or how much of it is just the way we educate boys in general. I didn't know that female condoms was a contentious issue. I didn't realize this was something that people were putting thought into. So when I started talking to female friends of mine who are more knowledgeable on contemporary feminist issues than I am, they said, yeah, some girls think it's gross to walk around with condoms. And I was like, that's so strange because it seems to be something that we don't talk about. Is that because we're uncomfortable with the topic of sexuality as a society? And then how do we balance that? Well, as a society, we're definitely uncomfortable with this talking about female sexuality. I mean, from this research that I've read, the U.S. is actually one of the most sexually repressed societies globally, which is sort of crazy to think about because I think particularly with women, um, there's this tension of women are sort of hypersexualized when you look at the media and the porn industry. And then yet when it comes to like real life, women aren't supposed to be sexual. And I think that it's changing. And I think that, you know, women are sort of owning their sexuality and taking control of their sexual health like never before. But it's also still a challenge. I mean, it it starts with women, but it also involves men. And you have to just be having these real conversations. I mean, I have heard so many stories over the last four years, as I'm sure you can imagine, from Mm -hmm. women and men. Um, And even in the beginning, you know, I had male friends who I consider pretty enlightened telling me, like, you probably shouldn't have, you know, boxes of condoms laying all over your house, like, when I was single. (laughs) And I was sort of like, what, what? Like, Mm. why? You know, and so I think it's challenging because I think a lot of even men, you'll have this conversation and they'll be like, oh, no, actually, yeah, that is great. That is responsible. But, like, sometimes subconsciously in the moment, maybe they're not thinking like that. Um, And they are being judgmental. I hope that's not the case. But I think society's telling us that women shouldn't be sort of sexually liberated. They shouldn't be sleeping with multiple people, even if they're being safe. There's so many rules and and constraints put on women from a sexual standpoint. And unfortunately, the outcome of not having the conversations, the outcome of, as you're saying, not having an open dialogue around male versus female sexuality, it's hurting us as a society from a sexual health standpoint. I mean, STDs are rampantly on the rise, more so than they've been in decades. Um, The AIDS epidemic is so far behind us that people aren't thinking about using condoms. And I think not only can we sort of 
create a quality around sexuality by having these conversations, but also really address the sexual health crisis. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to come talk to me. This Back was really at NYU. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much Thank for coming. Thank you.